The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. And we are back. It is Tuesday on WTMJ Nights. Glad you're with us. Big show planned. Always a big show planned. We're leaving a little early because the Brewers are in Los Angeles. I have to first, before I give the number, before I can tell you the text question tonight, I got to commend Wyatt Barmore Pooley. I rarely hear anybody call Dodger Stadium Chavez Ravine. It's a mark of someone who lived in California, so kudos to Wyatt. I, I'll say that sometimes, and people look at me like I'm a lunatic. And that's different than how they usually look at me when they think I'm a lunatic. So, yeah, good for you, Wyatt Chavez Ravine. Anyway, if you want to get a hold of the program, oh, my gosh, why not? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. When you call in, you'll be talking to Matt. He's producing the big show again tonight. So if you're nice to him, you'll get to me. That's how it works. And you know we always start the show with a text question of the night. Tonight is no different because I am nothing if not consistent. Our text question of the night what is left on your summer bucket list? It's August. I hate I hate to break this to everybody, but we're in the middle of August. Summer, especially if you're if if you have kids going to college, summer's probably over. They're probably on their way back. Uh, Milwaukee schools. The early start calendar started yesterday, so kids are back in school. There's got to be something that you want to get done before summer is over. What's left on your summer bucket list? 855-616-1620. So get in. Uh, let's, I, oh boy, I want to start the show by handing out a little congratulations uh, to our own Matt. Matt, this is, uh, this is very exciting. I hear that uh, you'll be taking your love of sports to the, uh, I guess, airwaves or PA system. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the, uh, I know what the job is, but I don't know the deets. So, why don't you tell everybody what you'll be doing? This is very exciting. Yeah, so uh, to sort of bleed topics together, you go from what's left on your summer bucket list. Now, yes. we're still in baseball season. That's not going to end until the end of September, or hopefully well, longer hope for October the Milwaukee Brewers. The brew crew. We'll see what happens. It's interesting. Get to that later. But football season, we're in full swing. That starts this upcoming Friday, and I'm privileged to be the voice of the Region Sports Network's only game in town for Northwest Indiana. It's the equivalent, at least what I was told uh, in the pitch, is that it's their version of Sunday Night Football. So everything there is similar to how they do it with the NFL. So it's a network broadcast team. So I'll be going to different towns, different cities across Northwest Indiana and doing their main game on Friday night. We got Lowell versus Crown Point. Uh, on Friday, those are two teams that each made it far in state last year. Crown Point's the bigger school, they're class 6A, and Lowell, they're the smaller school, class 4A. So a huge difference in terms of size, and both teams have this game marked on their calendar. This is very exciting. So you'll be doing live broadcasts of like the featured, uh, the featured high school game of the week, the Friday Night yep. Lights game. The main game in Northwest Indiana. That's very cool, and it's Region Sports is that uh, is that broadcast on uh, is it online? What's where to where would people if people are going to be traveling through Northwest Indiana on a Friday night and they're thinking you know what might be fun a little high school football how can how can they uh, hear you and then go hey we know that guy 
You can tune in, even if you're not in Northwest Indiana. It's on the Region Sports Network that's broadcasted online at regionsportsnetwork.com. And you can find it. It's got everything for Northwest Indiana high school sports. And some people might be thinking, well, it's Indiana. Isn't that a basketball state? Well, no. Northwest Indiana is uh, huge for football. A lot of teams that make it far in-state come from that Northwest Indiana area. So it's the football hotbed of the Hoosier State. (laughs) Wow, I like that. That's a good pitch. The football hotbed of the Hoosier State. I should trademark that. I I lived in Northwest Indiana for a while. If you get a Griffith game, that's where uh, I didn't go to school there, but that's where I lived in Griffith. So they're in our network. We'll see what happens. Yeah, well, that's very exciting, and because everybody knows, we've talked about it. You called baseball for a couple seasons, and uh, have you called football before? Yep. So last year, I was the voice of the Ithaca College Bombers in upstate New York, uh, the 2022 squad that went 12 and one, made it all the way to the NCAA quarterfinals before uh, having an unfortunate performance against North Central local school out of Naperville, right. Illinois. Uh, let's just say they were a whole different animal, but it was a great season, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the Bombers can do this upcoming year. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get back on the gridiron calling games. Very cool. Now, is that is the, the goal to be um, and a broadcaster for a specific team or league? Is that the is that the end goal? Yeah, that's that's my end. My end goal is well, if I had my perfect, you know, I get asked this all the time. If you had your perfect end goal, no obstructions, no nothing. I know we're on the same under the same ownership as them, but my goal is to take Jeff Joniak's job and be the play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bears. Wow, that's my main goal. But I'll take any any of the four major sports leagues. I'll take. Well, you know it's cool because a lot of um, we hear these voices, we become very familiar with the voices of our favorite teams. Doesn't matter the sport, and you know there's there's men who have been doing this job for ages, and you're like, where did they come from? Where did? They? But they come from the same path that you're on now. You started. You start in small programs. You start in, you know, uh, the 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 baseball league you were doing, or this or high school football, and then you move up into, you know, maybe the next tier up and next tier up. It takes. It's a long journey. There's not a whole lot of guys who are doing it now that got plucked from obscurity and are now doing a uh, professional, you know, broadcast on for any sport. Well, yeah, I can actually. There's only two people that I can count of recent history. And obviously, you go back to the Vince Scullys of the world, times were different then. It it was a lot easier to break into this industry in every single facet, considering it was new. But the only two people who got major sports jobs, whether it's at a network, professional leagues, or at a major college, would be Ryan Rucco who just received a promotion. He's now the number two NBA voice on ESPN, and he's also the WNBA's main voice on ESPN. And the second is Noah Eagle. The last name sounds very familiar. He got the radio job with the LA Clippers right off the bat, and he's now doing Big Ten Saturday nights on NBC. So wow. it's a very it's a very hard business to break through. I was fortunate to get a flagship position uh, with Ithaca, and the fact that they have their students do that, so that's why I'm no longer with the team because oh, you have okay. to be a student there in order to have that. But the fact that we were the flagship call 
for many marquee games in upstate New York Division Three football was fantastic, and it's an honor to hand it off uh, to the next generation, I'll say, even though they're only a couple of years younger than me, of guys who will be going with that team. But you see a lot of schools that don't give their students that opportunity. They'll still call the game. They'll still have the tape if you go to a different school. Sure. But you'll be calling it behind a national network or a national radio but at Ithaca we were the sole call uh for every single game that we had which That's was awesome cool. I know when at Southern when I was there our football calls were done by the sports director of one of the commercial radio stations in town so the students were working like you said in all other aspects but they had a pro doing the pro doing the call now I get I Probably, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because it'll be interesting to get your um, opinion on this. What's easier for you to call, or what's more of a challenge to call, baseball or football? They're each their own friend, and they're each their own enemy. But I got to go with baseball because <laughs> the thing is with baseball, a lot of people think, oh, baseball, it's pretty easy because the ball's only put in play once every. 30 seconds or so, we'll call that an average. Whereas yeah. football, if you get a team that does the hurry up, the ball could be in play every 15 seconds, depending on the previous results of the play. And I think, though, baseball, you have to do so much to fill time. Yes. You have to keep the listener engaged. The in-game part is the easiest for baseball. You get a ground ball to the shortstop, fires over to first, in time, one away. That's easy. But to fill the gap between when the last play is finished until the next pitch is thrown is one of the hardest things to do. Whereas in terms of a live game scenario, I'd say football's harder just naturally because there's 22 different people that could touch the ball on any given play. There's a lot of moving parts. Baseball, if it's a strikeout, only two people touch the ball on a given play. Well, and I think baseball, that was was going to be my answer. If I had to guess, I would have said baseball for the exact reasons you said. There is a lot of time that you have to fill, and that's why guys like Vin Scully and Pat Hughes and Jeff Levering, they can paint a picture in those dead spots, for lack of a better term. You know, when you've got guys throwing some warm-up pitches, they, they are great at painting a picture, and that's why, that's why baseball on the radio, I think, is better than any other sport on the radio, because it lends itself more to a storytelling and everybody's everybody's seen a baseball field. Everybody can kind of picture that. And there's there's a pace. That I think the hardest would be calling hockey. Have you ever called a hockey game? Hockey on the radio, it is the toughest thing to do. Hockey on TV, hard. Hockey on TV is fine because you let the camera become your best friend. Yeah, <laughs> you only have to focus on. The key parts, you don't want to overfill the broadcast. So it's just about being sure that you get the correct goal scorer, the correct people on the assists, and then if the goalie makes the save, obviously you want to be sure you get the goalie's name right, or if there's a big hit or anything like that. But you mostly want to let it breathe. On the radio, you can't do that because someone is in their offensive zone a third or two-thirds of the game. You rarely have (laughs) play in between the blue lines. So there, there's a lot of tricks to the trade. I learned this from Jack Michaels, who's the who was the radio play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. He's now their TV voice. Okay. And he said the key thing when doing hockey is to memorize the lines, watch the puck, and also watch their systems. 
because if you know where they're going to go with the puck, and this is a lot easier for the team that you're covering. Sure. If you know where the puck is going to go, it's a lot easier to predict what's going on in the game. Whereas if you don't know the system, you don't know who the puck is going to find, then you're going to be catching up most of the time. Yeah, that's that is an amazing call to listen to from really good and, and the NHL guys are all going to be really good because you have to be to get to that level. It is it is amazing. Well, congratulations again, Matt. We'll be give us that uh, give us that network again. The Region Sports Network, the only game in town in Northwest Indiana. The only game in town. Nice. Uh, all right. So if you're Friday night, if you're ever looking for some high school football and you're not listening to uh, something local in your town. Check out Matt. Uh, let's do one answer to our text question of the night, and then we'll take a quick break and come back with some more. Uh, our text question of the night, of course, is what is left on your summer bucket list? Jeff says, uh, Brian, I realize this will upset many people, but I have nothing left on my summer bucket list, and I'm ready for fall. We're, we're not upset. We're envious, Jeff, that you got everything done. Bring on the pumpkin spice Oktoberfest and fall concert season. All right. Uh, let's do this. Then there is so much more. It's WTMJ Nights. WTMJ Nights. All right, Noonan, WTMJ Nights, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If you want to jump in with our text question of the night, what is left on your summer bucket list from the 920? Attend the Titletown Night Market at Lambeau Thursday night. Well, you'll have great weather. That should be fun. Fun, fun. Uh, all right, I need to talk to my marijuana enthusiasts, my uh, ganja friends, the people who partake in the herb. Now, I know it is illegal still in Wisconsin, so I am not uh, condoning or promoting use of anything illegal. But we know every surrounding state, marijuana is cannabis. Although cannabis, that's the, the uh, professional term now. Cannabis is legal. What is what is the effect of starting basically the wake and bake? Because this is I don't understand it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I've only tried cannabis a handful of times, and that's since since it became legal in Illinois. And one of my brothers actually owns a dispensary in Michigan. That's why I've tried it. Um, not a huge fan. That's not judgment on people who love it. It was the first time for me, it was fantastic. The second time, it was horrible. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, not a thing for me. But the reason I ask so I was uh, in for Steve Scafidi the last couple mornings with Sandy Max on WTMJ Now, which was great. We had a good time. Uh, so last night, I stayed in Milwaukee. I did the show from. Um, the Annex Wealth Management Studio, right there at the Avenue. and But today, after WTMJ Now, I had to drive home to do the show tonight from my broadcast bunker because I have an early uh, commitment tomorrow morning. So I'm back here. I stayed in town last night, and when I got up at the hotel to leave to come into the studio this morning, uh, I walked out in the parking lot. It was 6.30 in the morning. And there were four people already out by their cars getting high. <laughs> and listen, I know we all have our morning rituals. I have to make sure I have a giant cup of coffee when I'm starting the day. I know people who smoke 
like to have a cigarette with their coffee in the morning. We've all got our things. But there's a part of me, and this may be my naivete about uh, the use of cannabis, I thought, boy, doesn't that you start your day off in kind of a, uh, I don't know, lackadaisical way where you, uh, now you're like, hey, you know, you got a little, little, little buzz on your, you know, it'd be like if I got up in the morning and on my way to work, I just cracked open a beer, right? Maybe I'm wrong. That's why I want to ask, I'm asking if, you know, if you're a, I guess semi-regular user, if this is a normal thing. We've all seen the stereotypes in movies of guys who are high all the time. I, I always think of Brad Pitt in True Romance, where he's just laying on the couch, smoking weed out of his homemade honey bear bong. Um, and I, you know, in college, of course, I'm sure we all had the friend who was stoned all the time. It seemed weird. And these were not, these were not like 18-year-old kids. They seemed like people, you know, near 30, um, maybe on vacation, maybe working in town, staying at this hotel. I didn't know. It was just, um, it, see, it struck me as odd because I was like, man, I don't know if you're, uh, I don't know if you're kicking the day off in the most productive manner. Now, I would imagine since there was a McDonald's right across the street, the McDonald's was going to benefit from their partaking. Or they were going to go in and storm the free continental breakfast at this hotel, which uh, I got to tell you, Matt, very, very weak. Gotta love you know, hotel I, eggs, Brian. Normally I do, but this—I don't know if this hotel is on the downward slide or if it's coming back. I don't know. And I always try to book when I'm on the uh, either on the road or on vacation. If I can book a hotel with a breakfast, I do it because it takes one of the unnecessary steps out of getting your day started on a vacation. If you could just go down to the lobby, grab something to eat, and then start your day, you don't have to go, oh, we got to find a place for breakfast, and we got to stand in line, and blah, blah, blah. This one, um, it, sparse is a kind term for what was going on. There was a pan of eggs, but uh, now, again, the breakfast had only started a half hour before I walked in to get my coffee. Uh, nobody was in there except two really uh, old ladies. And there was like a quarter of this pan of eggs. And maybe they didn't have a lot of guests. Obviously, they're not making a ton. And two lone sausages just sitting there. And a uh, handwritten sign over the waffle iron saying it was broken. I was like, well, all right. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't come here for the breakfast. I came here for the, for the uh, proximity to work and for the price. So I'm not going to worry about it. But uh, yeah, if these guys got, uh, if these guys got too high and too hungry, there was nothing really for them in the uh, continental breakfast. So it was off to McDonald's. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Then it's news time here on WTMJ Nights. It's Brian Dooney. It is WTMJ Nights, 855-616-1620. The old National Bank talking text line. Our text question of the night, what is left on your summer bucket list? Uh, I'm laughing because, uh, Matt, I don't, I don't know if something's happening uh, behind the glass there. Usually you go, okay, we're coming back in whatever. And you, and just start whatever. <laughs> A lot of visitors tonight. I guess we got a lot of things going on, people visiting the studios, which is always um, 
it's always cool when people get to see what we do, but it's also, you know, sometimes it, it throws people off. I don't want to, you know. We also were talking about, I saw all these people, uh, all these people. There were like four people outside of my hotel this morning at 630 uh, already waking and baking. And I was asking people who uh, are experienced users of the devil's lettuce to kind of let me know what was going on. If uh, you can always jump in with that, the 847 says, weed kills brain cells, so if you want to act stupid, smoke. Weed also smells bad. Uh, I think that may be the writer from uh, Reefer Madness. Yes, a lot of things uh, A lot of things we do, you know, kill brain cells. Every time you have a beer or something, that's, uh, that's the same. From the 262 in college, I would only wake and bake on weekends. I felt off if I did it during the week and had to do a class or something. Uh, it only seemed okay if I had no schedule whatsoever. That's kind of, see, that's kind of what I, I don't judge if people want, you know, everybody's got their thing to relax. And so I don't have any problem. I just am surprised. And I know, I, uh, weed aficionados are going to go, listen, Brian, you know, there's different strains, you know, some are, some, uh, you know, indica and sativa and all that stuff. And there's different strains that make you feel, I, I know, but I'm also like, I, it seems, I equate it, I guess, to having a couple drinks. And I, if I have a meeting, if I have to go to work, if I, I'm not going to have a beer. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. So it's just always funny to see that first thing in the morning for me. All right. Uh, a lot of the time here on WTMJ Night, some people, I'm going to sound like the exit. People are saying some people will accuse me of being very far left. Oh my gosh, Brian, you're so liberal. Blah 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 blah. And I'm, you know, whatever. That's that's your opinion. I I tend to I think fall somewhere in the middle. I also tend to look at things very much on a issue by issue basis and a story by story basis. And uh, this story caught my eye because one, it's something that's been in the news a lot, the main issue, and two, because. I found myself shaking my head and thinking, you know, this is why people who are labeled liberal sometimes get a very bad rap because things get taken way too far. So there is a new Indiana law that requires parents to be notified of students' name changes, including nicknames. And it's caused confusion and annoyance among some parents, while others are angry about the risk it places on transgender students. And we know transgender kids have been in the news a lot for a variety of reasons, whether it's health care or bathrooms or sports or, or pronouns. You know, everybody, that seems to be an easy target for people to zero in on and go, this is wrong, blah, 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 whatever. All right. So House Bill 1608 in Indiana um, which was passed by the legislature earlier this year, requires teachers and school administrators to write to parents if their child requests a change of their name, title, or pronoun. The notification must happen within five days of receiving the student request. The law went through many changes, uh, specifically targeting transgender students. It was eventually changed to affect any student who wishes to be addressed by a name other than one given when their parent or guardian registered them for school. All right, now here's here's where the here's where uh, if you say if you say you don't judge, then why do you say wake and bake and the devil's lettuce? One, 
Uh, it's called humor. And two, people call it waking and baking. That's that's been the term forever. Uh, obviously, somebody I don't who I don't think uses cannabis because they would realize uh, when somebody is having a little fun with verbiage. Anyway, so back to this uh, back to this story. On the surface, you go, oh well, all right. Uh, we're gonna, you know, we're going to require that schools contact parents if there's a name change. Um, the only way I see this being good is if you have a a boy or a girl who has traditionally been in school as a boy or girl, and this happened in the school I was at, and then they get to a point where they say. Uh, my, my name's Brian. Uh, my teachers have known me as Brian for however many years I've been in school. Now say I'm in seventh grade and I say to my teachers, Hey, um, I'm not Brian anymore because I, I think I'm transit, whatever. I would like you to call me Brenda because now I'm identifying as a uh, girl and my name is Brenda, and please call me Brenda at school. Then I think it is the responsibility of the administration and the school social workers in private, not in front of other kids in the class. It's not; a, it's nobody else's business. But that's when you sit down with the parents and you have a conversation with the parents and the student and make sure that everybody's on the same page. And once, once you've cleared it with the parents, and once you've talked to the student, and then the teachers can honor the kids' wishes. But this law is confusing teachers and everybody else because, um, Matt, I'm guessing your legal name is Matthew. Would that be correct? That is correct. All right. If you came to school in Indiana, and I'm reading my class list, and I say, oh, Matthew, are you? And you say, please call me Matt. Uh-oh, I got to call home. You can't be serious. I am 100% serious because you have asked me to call you a name that is not your legally given name. So this I'm is sorry, where I Matt. This is where I agree with you. I think if it's what you said earlier about private with the parents, the social worker, just to be sure that everybody knows what's going on. Right, because that's, that's, okay. that's something different. But I see nicknames. I've been going to school for a long, long time. At least 50% of the students in all my classes from kindergarten down all the way to my senior year of college have some sort of nickname that's relative to their name that they request yeah. the teacher or prof to change. Starting with kindergarten, where there were three Jacobs in my AM kindergarten class. <laughs> so just by the sanity of my teacher, two of them had to change their names to variations. Oh, no one got a call home then. No, we had last year we had two Nathans, Nathan M and Nathan B. That's because it was like neither one neither one liked to be called Nate. They they liked to be called Nathan, so we just had to add the last initial. So they and if you forgot the last initial, the other kids would be like, "Which one?" All right, we, we, we get it. But one of the one of the parents quoted in this story that I was reading, her daughter's her daughter's name is Rosemarie. But She's eight, and every year since preschool, everybody calls her Rosie. Everybody in her family calls her Rosie. All her past teachers have called her Rosie. But now, 
uh, they have to call home and make sure it's okay and uh, let the parents know that, hey, your daughter, Rose Marie, wants us to call her Rosie. Is that okay? And your son, Matthew, asked to be called Matt. It's, uh, it's just a, one, it's a waste of time and resources for school. Two, it's a pain for the parents. You know, now, if, you're, if your son or daughter is, and I'm trying to, I, I want to use the right words because I don't want to offend anybody because I don't mean any offense. If your son or daughter is transitioning or wants to transition or is, uh, you know, that's, that's a much more serious thing that it is important for the parents to know about. Um, Again, just so that the kids' rights are respected and the parents' rights are respected and everybody's on the same page. But I I don't foresee if, you know, if Matt comes to school and I keep calling him Matthew, they'll be like, oh, please stop, just call me Matt. There's all, if you've grown up being called one thing, there's there should be none of this. And it's, you know, I... I understand you don't want you don't want any kid to feel persecuted. Um, you don't want any kid to feel singled out, and I don't want that either. But we've gone so far in the other direction that it's ridiculous. And when when we when we do things that are so over the line, it's really hard for people to take other things seriously. If you go there, you know. So, uh, and this, I think this applies to both parties, uh, on, not on this particular issue, but on various issues. It's like, stop, come back and use your common sense. Any common sense would, would have said that this law is dumb. Now, you know, obviously somebody was trying to, to make a point in the Indiana legislature. Somebody, uh, in my opinion, wanted to make it harder for, transgender children to be addressed in a manner that they wanted to be but that's a separate issue but it, again in order for everybody to feel the same we got to put everybody in the same basket um it just according according to one of the um one of the people quoted in this who has a transgender child uh in the school they had gone in They'd gone into the school beforehand, before the school year started, and they sat down with the administration and the teachers and said, okay, this is, you know, this is how my child would like to be addressed. This is the name that we'd like you to um, call our, our child uh, to make them feel safe, make them feel uh, safe at school just like they feel at home, and that's fine. Um, and this parent was quoted as saying, my concern is for the other kids and how this could affect them and whether they're going to be safe in their homes or uh, outside of their homes. So, okay, um, I, think it's, I think it's just weird. When you, take it, when you take it to the point of nicknames, like I have a name that was never easily made into a nickname. You know, Brian, Brian lends itself to always being called Brian. Um, or... When I was uh, when I was working at a station where I partnered with the Blackhawks, I actually got a hockey nickname, Matt. They called me Noons, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, but you know, in school I was always Brian, um, and like my brother, I have a brother named Michael. The fa everybody in the family calls him Michael, 
But then when he was in school, everybody called him Mike. And that's, you know, my parents didn't go, oh, my God, here we go. I did have one one student last year, a little girl whose name, um, whose name was Adeline. And we heard people call her Addie sometimes. So my co-teacher and I called her Addie. And uh, she responded to it, and we, you know, on her take-home folder, we had put Addie, and we got a, an angry note from the parents saying, that's not her name, her name is Adeline, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we we apologize. We'll never call her Addie again. We changed the cover of her folder. Everything was fine. But unless it's unless it's an, an important issue, we need to stay out of people's way. What do you think? 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talking text line. A couple of uh, text responses. We'll get to those and so much more on WTMJ Nights. Everybody knows your name. Oh, but what name? That's the problem in Indiana. And the law is very vague. That's why teachers and, ev- and parents and everybody are like, what are we supposed to do? Uh, schools are supposed to notify parents if their children want to be called by a different name. As simple as... Matthew wanted to be called Matt. Oh, that's a call home. Teacher's got to take time. The parents got to answer the phone and go, yeah, we've been calling him Matt since he was born. Uh, we've been, call- you know, maybe you've had a day. I never, except for the brief time that I was, uh, I mentioned I got the nickname Noons. Uh, that was my only nickname. Did you ever have a nickname other than Matt at uh, when you were a kid or in school? All the time. My friends still call me Sauce because everywhere I go, whether it's in high school or even in college, there's always another Matt that's in our immediate or semi-immediate social group. Okay. And so, known as Sauce, Sauce, they always go by my last name because it's a lot easier to call both of us by our last name than have one of us be Matt because then you're like, oh, Matt who? Yeah, exactly. I like, Sauce is a good nickname. And I'm glad other people gave you. You can't give yourself a nickname. I no. think we can all agree that that's the law. There's no giving yourself a nickname. Hey, man, call me uh, Spartacus. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to call you Gene because that's your name. Uh, but if somebody else gives you a nickname and it's a good one, I like it. Uh, from the 262, my given name is Charles. Through school, I was called Chucky, Chuck, Charlie, and Chaz. Guess that's four calls home and four paired conferences. How productive. That's right, Chaz. Chuck, Charles, Chucky. A uh, lot of calls home. We're just going to call you Charles because that's your legally given name. Uh, Jim says, it's crazy policies like these that would make me want to change my last name to Dump Bump and my first name to Bud and insist to be called by my full name. Very good, but Dump Bump. I like it. Uh, Jeff, very jealous of your uh, your nickname, Sauce, because he wanted to change his name to uh, Hot Sauce back in the day. Uh, glad my sister talked me out of this misguided move. Yeah, I, you know, noons is fine when you're talking because it was it was only in uh, context of like sports talk when it would be you know we'd talk to somebody and uh, John Wideman or Troy Murray from the Blackhawks and they would they would call me that and it made me feel like I was you know part of the club. Well, in hockey, cool. it's a one syllable name all the time. Always, always, or you add an er to the name. Oh yeah, uh, Kaner Taser. Uh, Sharpie, Patrick Sharp. Uh, I'm trying to think. Hoss. Yeah, Hoss. I'm trying. I was trying Crow. to think. That was okay. I was just saying. I was trying to think of Corey Crawford's, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Did I know he had a nickname? 
I know we all, all hockey players have nicknames. Uh, all right, we are going to take a little break. Then it's news time right here on WTMJ Nights. The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Hour two of the big show. Glad you're here. Here till 8.30 in advance of Brewers baseball. The Brewers out at Chavez Ravine, or do you call it Dodgers Stadium? Either way, it's where the Dodgers play in Los Angeles, California. Uh, so we will go to a pregame right after 8.30 here on WTMJ. Big series for the uh, for the Brewers. The Cubs are hot on their trail. The Dodgers are red hot, so the Brewers have to uh, come out of these next few games with some uh, big wins to stay in first place. We'll keep our fingers crossed. All right, uh, I saved. I found some stories, and I thought, well, what better man to talk to about this than uh, Matt or Matthew? Or uh, I don't want to have. I don't have to call your mom, do I, Matt? No, you do not. All right, thank you. All if right. I was in Indiana, Indiana, maybe though. That's true. That's <laughs> true. So you may want to check for your new gig. Uh, you don't want to get in trouble. Your first still have uh, residency in the state of Illinois. I think we're all right. <laughs> all right, but yeah, these kids, uh, the the kids that you'll be calling the games for, who knows? We got right? We got to check on that. Yeah, you got to check on that. You don't want your first uh, only game in town to be your last because, you know, you called some kid Nick and his name was Nicholas. <laughs> that would be that would be bad. With, with all the all right. broadcasters getting punished news over the past couple of weeks, I think that would certainly blow up on uh, X. I would I would hope so. And uh, oh, who was the, Kevin was Brown, the Orioles broadcaster the Orioles. that got yeah, suspended I was for to spitting facts? That Orioles that was ridiculous. That and I know it's an old story. We're gonna be, but it ties into kind of what we what we're gonna talk about now. That was the dumbest, dumbest thing ever. I wa- because I they, it made me feel stupid because I kept watching the clip and I'm like, what happened here? What I or am I? What am I missing? I kept thinking he had to have something. He had to drop some offensive phrase, or he had to, he had to slur somebody, or he flipped somebody off. And I'm like, no, okay, he didn't do that. And I'd watch it again. No, he didn't do that. He just read the stats, and that's somehow wrong. Now he was promoting the team too. I know. It's not like he was saying the Orioles were great in Tampa Bay, and now they're terrible in Tampa Bay. But yeah. honestly, I don't care which way it goes. You're adding excitement to what was a July baseball game. I'm not saying July baseball is boring. I understand it's a divisional series. Sure. But especially in baseball, and I looked for this all the time when I was with Kenosha and any team, any game I'm doing at, the number one thing that we are taught is the first thing you look for is explaining why the game matters. A lot of times it's easy if it's a championship game or in football, every game matters just because of the lack of quantity. Right. But he's doing his job. Got to be careful. Otherwise, the Orioles might get mad. But, you know. Well, you can. I can see if your ownership and your guy is on there bashing your team. Not not the the regular criticism that I think I think is incumbent upon a team's announcer, to be honest. So. If your team is choking nonstop, I think it's as a fan, I want my play-by-play guy to not be just a homer. I want him to actually say, or she down the line, we don't have any uh, 
for my teams yet, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, I want them to just say, we really need to work on this, and the or the bullpen is horrible, and we've got to get some more arms in there. That's fine. But he wasn't even doing that. No, just, and there's two ways. The if actual you're, record. If you're criticizing your team, there's two ways that it tends to go. You could say, and just using the Orioles, for example, the numbers aren't right, but the Orioles have been absolutely disgusting at Tropicana Field. They lost their last nine games here and haven't won a game at Tropicana since George Washington was president. Obviously, exaggeration <laughs> there. Sure. Or you could say, the Orioles have struggled. They went 0-9 over this time to this time at Tropicana Field, but they've really turned that on. They've won their last seven here in Tampa yeah. Bay. Obviously, They're... one is much more negative. One is much more positive and you tend to stick with the positive connotation but no matter what and what i always tell people is that if i'm providing a stat that is clearly backed up by numbers right so going to a simpler example if a player strikes out and i'm doing a radio broadcast and the player gets mad at me oh why'd you say i struck out well because you did (laughs) you make an error and it scored an error by the official score that i have nothing to do with Exactly. It scored an error. I, I'm not going to say not fake news. Uh, yeah, the- you made an error. I said I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, "Oh, Smith made an error. He's the worst shortstop in the league." No. What I might say though is, if that's your fifth or sixth error in the last five innings, I'll be like, "Man, Smith has really struggled defensively today. Yeah, he just his can't find his are block." Continuing at second base. Exactly. Or- so there's a way of being nice about it, which Brown was, and so yes. it's an odd situation. I know old news, well, but. It- it, it's odd. Yeah, but it, it goes to it goes to what we want from our team announcers. Do you want somebody who's just going to blow smoke all the time? And I don't. I mean, I'm sure there are some like that. I don't. You know, I don't listen to every game in every market of every sport, obviously. But I think somebody I want when I listen to a game, whether it's a White Sox game because that's my team, whether it's a Brewers game, uh, Bears, Packers, anybody I listen to, I want. I don't want them tearing the team down, but I also don't want them sugarcoating it. I want I want honesty. I want the facts. I want to know because if you're watching a game on TV, you can see that this guy has had, to use your example, Matt, five errors in this game. You, your eyes aren't lying to you. So I don't want my announcer to lie to me either. I also want people to pick a lane and make up their mind. Um you remember over the last number of years, there has been controversy and calls for teams that have names that were deemed uh, a slur to Native Americans to change the name of the team. The Braves, the Indians, uh, the Redskins. That, w- that went on for years and years. Calls for the Redskins to change their name because Redskin was... Uh, deemed to be an offensive slur toward Native Americans. I am all for if if there's something that is to a large group of people considered offensive or a slur, let's investigate it, let's see, and then we'll change. And finally, after Dan Snyder was gone, well, he he actually was he actually helped change the name. Dan Snyder changed the name of the Redskins to the Commanders. First it was the Washington football team, which I thought was pretty cool. I liked I liked that name. We're the Washington football team. I'm like, oh, all right. 
that's cool. Then they changed it to the commanders uh, during the summer of 2020 when there was all the racial unrest, but they, they got rid of Redskins. You would think that would be the end of the story, as it should be. There were calls for a change. After years of fighting it, they said, okay, you know what? Yes, we're going to change. The Indians in Cleveland became the Guardians. Horrible name, but they changed. Well, now a Native American group is saying, hey, that was wrong. You canceled us. You need to change your name back to the Redskins. It's like, what? The Native American Guardian Association has encouraged fans to sign a petition which is, quote, designed to promote our history, put an end to cancel culture, and hashtag reclaim the name Redskins, end quote. They say about 80,000 people have signed the petition. This is what uh, this is what the petition says in part. We invite all Americans to stand up for the dignity of every American under assault in today's increasingly nonsensical culture wars. Uh, this line in the sand moment reinforces undeniable history of the Native American assisting the founding of America with Native American principles used by the founding fathers in the U.S. Constitution and every American's right to the First and Fourteenth Amendment and not to be targets of cancel culture or ESG. I'm not sure uh, what that means. Uh, this is not a simple left or right issue for Americans. It reaches across the political spectrum dating back to our founding fathers. Where were you when everybody was calling for them to change the name? Where was the Native American Guardian Association standing up then and going, hey, no, no, um, Redskin is fine. Just leave it Redskin. We didn't hear a peep out of you then. We didn't hear calling for anybody to sign a petition. We didn't hear for that anybody was being canceled. The only people who were in danger of being canceled were Redskin ownership, who was not listening to the voice of the uh, majority of fans, the rest of the NFL. Everybody was calling for them. I didn't hear these people uh, making a peep. We're going to take a quick break. I want to I want to get Matt's take on this. As a guy who is heavily into sports and is actually going to be calling football games, not for the Commanders, but uh, one of these days. But uh, and I want to hear your thoughts too. At one point do we just go, "Okay, enough's enough. Stop." We, you know, Commanders does not uh, offend anybody. We changed the name. That's what you wanted. No take backs. Sit down. Zip it. We're moving on to it. We have, we have other problems to deal with. 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line. More from you and more on this on WTMJ Nights. After years and years of people calling for the Washington Redskins to change their name because it was offensive to Native Americans, they finally did. Former owner Dan Snyder changed the name in 2020. Uh, now they are, of course, the Washington Commanders. And all of a sudden, a group called the Native American Guardian Association is saying, hey, why did you cancel Native Americans by changing your name? You need to go back. They sent an email, or a letter, rather, to Commander's leadership, quote, formally requesting the team revitalize its relationship with the American Indian community and rightfully change their name back to the Redskins. Uh, you simply cannot erase history and target the Native American community by eradicating the name Redskins while being an organization that fosters other constitutional rights. Um, 
it was the Native American community, along with a lot of other people, that were calling for the name change. So this should, they changed the name. That should be it. Uh, Matt, I thought of you when I saw this story as a guy who follows sports intently and is involved in sports. I think this is crazy. What do you, what did you think when you heard this? I completely agree. And I'm going to go with the notion of you had your time to speak up about countering the name change back in the late 2010s up until 2020. The Washington Commanders and the entire organization dating back a while to their inception with George Preston Marshall as their initial owner, they had a history of racism to the point where they did not draft Ernie Davis, who won the Heisman Trophy at Syracuse. Unfortunately, he passed away from leukemia before he could even play a down in the NFL. But they did not draft him, and there were some some theories that they did not draft him because of his color, because of the color of his skin. And also that set a tone in the Washington franchise of racism. And then, like you said, in the late 2010s when they changed the name, it was because of pushback from the Native American population and from big sponsors, too. Oh, yeah. And then that's when Dan Snyder changed the name to the football team, which was a temporary name, by the way. They could have theoretically, I'm not saying they would have, but they theoretically could have gone back and went back to the Redskins. Right. They did not. Rightfully so. Sure. So I feel like you're showing up late to the dinner party and expecting the host to change the meal. Yeah. Good. Not going to happen. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you can't, you can't come back after all of this has been done and then say, oh, you, we, uh, we were just waiting to see what happened, but we don't think... And, and nobody canceled the Native American community by changing the name of the of a football team. Nobody, you know. Uh, Atlanta still kept the Braves, and I'm I'm sure you know people people are a little upset with the name, not as much because Braves was a term for the young men, the young Native American men who were soldiers or for the tribe and that kind of thing. They don't like the tomahawk chop, exactly, but. You know, you're never you're going to you're never going to stop fans from doing that. And I there are some things that it's. It takes a while for people to realize why other people might be offended by it. And while we do not have a right not to be offended in this country, uh, we have a lot of rights, as we should. Not being offended is not one of them. So if you are offended, welcome to being a human being. That's just. (laughs) That's just how it goes. But if an organization like the Commanders, formerly the Redskins, sees that this is becoming, as Dan Snyder said at the time, a distraction to football operations because they were under fire from everybody, from the public, as as you said, Matt, from sponsors. They were under fire from the league. It was was too much. So they changed it. Um, Yeah, these guys guys are, are a little nuts. All right. We're going to have to talk about this other big sports football story. Uh, everybody was talking about it today. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, oh, maybe the, the, the blind side truly is blind to the facts. Oh, that was horrible. But uh, I'll work on it. We'll come back. We'll try it again. It's WTFJ Nights. 
We are turning back time. I'm seeing a story that just came out that makes me think that maybe we're in 2020 again. Uh, you remember 2020, don't you? Sure. Uh, COVID had just come on the scene. People were panicking. Uh, do we, uh, do we drink bleach? Do, how do we uh, protect ourselves? All of that. Well, guess what? It's, uh, it's not that far in the past because COVID is on the upswing again. There's a big surge in cases, but the difference is now there's vaccines. We, uh, we know how to, uh, how to help people. There's the anti, antiviral drugs that are, uh, available to people. My wife, who never had COVID during the, uh, big, you know, the surge during the epidemic, quote unquote, just had COVID last month. She got it. She got the, uh, you know, she got the antiviral stuff and she felt kind of bleh for a few days, but she was fine. So, you know, it's out there, but there are still people trying to dupe us. And there are still people who are dupes because they don't know. A Utah man claimed to be a doctor selling COVID-19 cures has been arrested in Utah. He's 63 years old. He claimed his structural alkaline silver products would destroy the COVID-19 virus with vibrations and resonant frequencies. Man, I wish I could come up with some kind of scam that would trick people like this. Because if I said that to you, hey, I've got something that's going to uh, cure a virus with vibration and frequencies, and it's only $300, would you fork it over? No, because you have some sense. Of course you would not fork it over. He also claimed to be an anti-aging medical doctor with a Ph.D. in immunology and neuropathic medicine. So, well, guess what? He's got some federal fraud charges against him. They were announced um, a while ago. He wasn't arrested until this month. Why do we, when it's, when it's COVID, why are we so uh, easily sucked in by scams? I think because other, other, you know, other diseases, we're all smart enough to know, you know, if I have cancer, I should, Probably go to an oncologist. I should go, you know, do that. If I have heart disease, I should see a cardiologist. Uh, but COVID, because it became so politicized, isn't actually looked at as a virus or anything. It's a political thing. So I'm not going to take this vaccine. I'm going to trust uh, this guy who knocked on my door and tried to sell me a vial of uh, alkaline silver. Fantastic. Michael Orr is going to... War with the Tuies. Yes, it is a blindside showdown. We'll get to that after the news. It's 7.30 on WTMJ. That means we go to the WTMJ 24-hour breaking news center. Jessica Gatso ready to go. So Brian Nooner, WTMJ Nights. We're here for about another hour, and then it is Brewers baseball. The Brewers out on the West Coast taking on the Los Angeles Dodgers tonight. Uh, pre-game starts at 8.35 right here on WTMJ. We're a little uh, little sports focus tonight on the show because a couple of big sports stories. Uh, this one, if you ever saw the movie The Blind Side, and most of us have, it was a huge, huge success. Uh, that's how a lot of us who were not uh, following the uh, the Titans or... or uh, Michael Orr's career became familiar with Michael Orr as the uh, the man at the center of that movie, The Bright Side. Um, you know the story. He was taken in by a couple, the Tuies, in uh, in Tennessee, and they uh, he played for Baltimore. That's who he was drafted by. But um, 
they took him in when he was a senior in high school and helped him get into college. He played at Old Miss, and then he went pro. Well, he's never been a fan of the movie, and he's talked about this for a long time. But uh, now, yesterday, he uh, petitioned a Tennessee court with allegations that a big piece of the story was a lie, and it was made up by the Tuies to make money off of him. It was a 14-page petition. Um, basically, it says when he was 18, the Tuies had him sign a paper that said he was going to be adopted. It turns out it was he was signing a paper that set up a conservatorship. Now, a lot of us hadn't heard that term until we started hearing about it with Britney Spears, about a conservatorship, where the conservators uh, get to make all the financial decisions. They're the ones who can strike up deals. They can uh, license off your likeness, things like that. Um, they Then the petition further alleges that the Tuies used their power to strike a deal that paid them and their two birth children millions of dollars in royalties from the movie. Uh, and then they have continued calling for, well, since he was a kid, the uh, Michael Orr, their adopted son. They've used their that assertion to promote their foundation, as well as uh, Leanne Tui's work as an author and motivational speaker. So according to this petition, Michael Orr was never adopted. He was lied to as a 18-year-old kid, bamboozled by a family who had taken a kid out of poverty, off the streets, who had no, you know, you're 18, these people have been taking care of you, they say they're going to adopt you, you've grown to love the what, and, and then to think that they've lied to you just to, you know, make money is disgusting. Um... This is uh, this is according to the legal filing. Quote, the lie of Michael's adoption is one upon which co-conservators Leanne Tui and Sean Tui have enriched themselves at the expense of their ward, the underside Michael Orr. Michael Orr discovered this lie to his chagrin and embarrassment in February of 2023 when he learned that the conservatorship to which he consented on the basis that doing so would make him a member of the Tui family, in fact, provided him no familiar relationship with the Tuies. All right, now the Tuies have the Tuies have fought back. They are saying um, that the claims that they enriched themselves at Michael Orr's expense are quote quote unquote outlandish, uh, hurtful, and absurd, and part of a shakedown by the former NFL uh, tackle whose relationship with the family was the inspiration for the movie. Uh, a statement was issued by their attorney. Uh, it was obtained by TMZ, then the Associated Press. They say they are heartbroken of by the accusations, and uh, Orr is threatening to plant negative stories about them unless they paid him $15 million. I'm going... I'm going to make my I'm going to make my call on this, Matt, and then I want to I want you to make your call on this. Just from these facts and the and the the fact that for years Michael Orr has has said this story isn't you know this isn't really what happened. This is all you know it's been exaggerated. And yes, it's 
a movie based on a book. It's not, uh, you know, it's not hard knocks. It's not a documentary. People didn't follow Michael Orr from the time he was a high school phenom all the way through his uh, college and pro career. I'm go- I, I tend to believe Michael Orr on this one. It always seemed, uh, it always seemed too good to be true. Uh, and just, I, Obviously, we have to wait till all the facts come out. But first blush, I'm siding with Michael Orr. Where do you uh, where do you fall on this, Matt? Because I'm I know you followed this story too. I'd agree with you, Brian. Based off the facts that you just presented, I'd have to side with Michael Orr too. Because you have to think about the idea that would Michael Orr take a shot at the twoies if they were a hundred percent in the right? I don't right. think he would. No, imagine imagine being. 37, thinking that you had been adopted at 18 by these people who took you in, only to find out that when they told you, and and I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically this is what it said, that it was practically the same thing. Sign this, it's a conservatorship, but it's it's just like an adoption paper. It's the same kind of thing. And a kid who's, you know. No kid at 18 is legally savvy. We don't, we, you know, your parents or the people who are acting as your parents ask you to sign something, you're going to believe them. So to find out that it was a lie, uh, unless, I don't know how they can prove that they didn't lie to him about this. I don't know where you would say, oh no, he had full understanding of these legal documents that we had him sign. Uh, eh, it's, it seems a little, as the kids like to say, Matt, it seems sus. Oh, yeah, it's entirely suspicious. And there's a lot of quotes and scenes within the movie that, oddly enough, foreshadow this. Really? Yeah. Would there you happen was, to have one like, handy? I have one handy. I'm going to get to that one in just a moment. But since you mentioned adoption, Leanne, played by Sandra Bullock, was having dinner with her girlfriends at the, I don't know if it's a country club or it's a luxurious club. There are multiple scenes that flash that. And in those scenes, Leanne's friends seem to be against what Leanne and Sean Tui are doing in terms of taking Michael in. And in one of the scenes, one of her friends asks Leanne, so are you going to adopt him? And Leanne says, he's going to be 18 in a few months. There's not really a point. Oh, now that's in the movie, and you sure, can't sure. use the movie as a viable source in terms of this. What I assume is going to become a large legal case in one way or another. Oh, yeah. Well, they're they're saying that the according to this legal filing, he's claiming that the Tuies and their two Burke children each got two hundred twenty five thousand dollars plus two and a half percent of the film's net proceeds. It's a disaster. Um, yeah. So there, there's going to be this is this is not going to end here because. You know, you had a, you had an impressionable kid. Now he's a grown man. Um, he's he doesn't need to just believe things at face value anymore. You can, especially when the main crux of the whole relationship, "Hey, we adopted you," has now turned out to be a lie. Exactly. And then there's also later on in the film when Michael is getting investigated by the NCAA because of the suspicious nature of his signing at Ole Miss, which 
if you look at how the NCAA investigates any case nowadays. I mean, Jim Harbaugh right now is under investigation for giving cheeseburgers to recruits. The NCAA will investigate anything and everything that they can investigate. And there was a scene in the movie where Michael's being investigated, and the investigator, even though the NCAA does not investigate in this style, the character foreshadowed this not exact situation, but a similar situation uh, in a pretty interesting way. Uh, let's roll tape, see what we got here. Yeah, roll tape. But there are many people involved in this case who would argue that the Tuies, they took you in. They clothed you. No. They fed you. They paid no. for your private education. They bought you a car. No. They paid for a tutor. No. All is part of a plan to ensure that you play football for the University of Mississippi. Hmm. And scene. Sounds, uh, sounds very reflective of reality. Yeah. That, that, because that's what, that's what is alleged, that they, they had rights to his likeness. They had rights to his name. They had, uh, you know, they were making, they could make money off of him when he couldn't. Uh, and he, as I mentioned at the beginning, he has not been a fan of the movie since it came out. He said it hurt his football career. Um, it it made people look at him differently. Uh, some NFL decision makers thought that he was dumb, mentally slow, didn't have leadership skills, all because of a movie. Without even talking to him, they looked at a character in a fictionalized account of his life, and that was Michael Orr. And I'm listen. I'm sure there were a lot of people who, based on the movie thought that was what Michael Orr was or who he was and how he conducted himself. But um, he said in, he told ESPN in 2015, people look at me and they take things away from me because of a movie. They don't really see the skills and the kind of player I am. And that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. So again, until, until something comes out that proves me wrong, I've got to, I'm going to side with Michael Orr on this one. And it's, you know, the guy's got his own money. He's got, he's published two books. He had an NFL career. Um, but it would, man, it, just on a personal level, he has to be completely devastated to think that what he thought was his life, that these people had adopted him, was a lie. Well, not only that, but if you're the two he's coming from this angle, and again, we don't have all the information, but based off of what we have here, I could not be more disgusted at the two he's right now. Yeah. If, take the if movie take out, the movie and throw it away. Like Anything that has to do with what that movie portrayed doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You should look no. at this from a perspective of you look at a kid who did not have a stable life, was bouncing around, mm-hmm. thought he finally had some solidification in his life, some certainty, somewhere where he could go home at night and know he had somewhere to go home. Yeah. And, and you wind up in this situation where I'm not sure if it was their initial goal, but hey, certainly the end result was they wind up making a gigantic profit off of this story. And I know you could say that sports movies have Disney roles, and all of them do. 
You look at oh, Remember the Titans. The, you look at Glory Rudy, Road. Rudy was not Rudy. That, that's You look at not every really story, every sports movie. Honestly, if I'm Disney Rocky. or whoever's directing these, take it down a notch. Remember the Titans, for example. They won that championship <laughs> game by more than three scores. <laughs> League of their own. Wow, I know we talked tapped, about this a while ago. Into Matt. This is a, this is where Matt this is where Matt gets fired it's, up. It's it's frustrating because <laughs> as a kid I appreciate it. Yeah. Take a League of Their Own, for example. We talked about this a month ago. Intentionally walked the best player in the league. <laughs> Coach Dado, you're a legend at USC. You messed this up entirely. <laughs> but Dot- And this Dottie's is why we get in situations like this. Dottie's got a hit. Um, yeah, I, I, this is... Uh, I, well, I can tell you're passionate, and I love that. Uh, I, I think it's wrong. Uh, one of the texters, well, we'll get to the text and we'll, uh, we've got a lot to get to because time is the tyrant tonight on WTMJ Nights. Nights. Talking about Michael Orr, the man at the center of the blind side. He has filed a petition in court in Tennessee saying that, uh, he was lied to by the Tuies, the people who, He thought adopted him. They did not, it turns out. When he was 18, they had him sign a conservatorship. Uh, 414 saying, what I don't understand is when this happens, you're taking control of a person who cannot. You have to go before a judge. The person has an appointed person from the court who is there to make sure the person is represented. Yeah, this is is different. And I'll read the quotes from uh, from the story where I got this. So... uh, or was a high school senior, as we said. So he was 18 when he signed the conservatorship papers. Uh, he's written in his books that the Tuies told him that there was essentially no difference between adoption and conservatorship. So he signed it. Quote, they explained to me that it means pretty much the exact same thing as adoptive parents, but that the laws were just written in a way that took my age into account. End quote. That was from his book, uh, I Beat the Odds. There are some important legal distinctions in this case. If Orr had been adopted by the Tuies, he would have been a legal member of the family. He would have retained power to handle his own financial affairs. However, under the conservatorship, he surrendered that authority to the Tuies, even though he was a legal adult with no known physical or psychological abilities. So he claims according to this petition, that they began negotiating a movie deal about their relationship shortly after the release of the book, The Blind Side, Evolution of a Game, uh, which chronicled that story. So that's it. Now, Matt, you were all fired up about sports movies getting it wrong. Jeff says Vision Quest rocks, though. How do you feel about Vision Quest? Other than the fact that a dorky high school wrestler lands Linda Fiorentino, which is completely fantasy. Let's say Vision Quest is now on my watch list. Oh, you, you've never seen Vision, Vision Quest featuring the Madonna hit Crazy for You and a young Matthew Modine in a uh, one of those aluminum suits to drop weight so he can wrestle his arch nemesis? Sounds enticing. Yeah, oh, sure. And then they get a... Uh, that a very uh, beautiful 20-something woman moves into their house. I can't, I can't remember how she actually... Why she actually moved into the house. But, uh, yeah, so there's the... Uh, his forbidden longing for this older woman and uh, trying to wrestle Shoop, who is the, uh, you know, the conference champion. So he has to drop weight and he's, he's go, uh, going on a vision quest. It's, uh, 
If you ever have time to just sit back and go, wow, this is a crazy movie that is 100% of its time, watch Vision Quest. You might, have a, you might have a good time. All right, let's do this. Then there's more. It's WTMJ. Don't go anywhere. More WTMJ Nights coming up. But the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Welcome back to WTMJ Nights. Glad you're with us. 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank, get old if you want to uh, jump on and uh, join us. We're here for about... Uh, half hour or so, because then we have to move aside, as you heard Jessica report, and we've been saying, the Brewers in Los Angeles uh, playing the Dodgers tonight. Big series for the Brewers, so it should be it should be some good games. They're there, uh, was it three games or four? Three games, I think, um, in uh, Los Angeles. All right. Um, I, I forgot to mention, the president was in town today. We've been hearing all about that. And we talked about it this morning on uh, WTMJ Now. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's that's great. And I made a joke on the show this morning saying, because people were wondering about traffic and the roads being blocked because the president was here. And, you know, that's that's a big concern. The Secret Service is moving the president from one place to another. And uh, so they, you know, the president can't sit in traffic. You and I can sit in traffic all day. President, very busy. As, and that's true. Any president, you know, you, you're busy, you come in. But by the time I got done with the show, I the president was already where I thought where he was going to give his speech today. No, I got rerouted about four different times because ramps were closed for the president. And I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't have made that joke. This is uh, it was foreshadowing that I would then be affected by and I, I would said it's always exciting when the president comes to town. Uh, you know, whoever the president is, the office comes to town, and it's a big deal. Uh, unless the president messes up your commute, and then you're like, why does he have to come to town? Can it? And I, that was me. All of a sudden, I was living out the comments that I had made an hour earlier on the air by uh, going, oh, what? I can't get on the express. All right, I'll go this way. Nope, and I kept getting rerouted. And then as I was finally getting back to my route, um, that's when I saw all the police car, you know, the policemen uh, or officers putting their stuff away and cars were moving off the ramps and traffic was starting up again. But, uh, yeah, thanks, President Biden. You added like 15 minutes to my commute today. See? <laughs> thanks. Uh, we all watch movies. We love movies. What I don't like is the fact that it seems like we don't have a whole lot of original ideas anymore. We are in a, a time of sequels and prequels and just remaking things ad nauseum. Now, some things, you know, okay, I, I'm not I'm not throwing shade at all the, uh, you know, superhero movies. I love the superhero movies, but I think once you do a, once you do... An origin story, that should be it. We don't need eight origin stories for Spider-Man. We know how this worked. Uh, we, we don't need all that. And I saw something today that sparked my interest. It's movie franchises that should never be rebooted. So that's my question to you, 855-616-1620. Is there a movie franchise that 
maybe there's a, a weak link in the franchise somewhere, but the original, the first movie, and maybe the second movie in the series are so good that you're thinking, Hollywood, leave this alone. Do not touch it because it's perfect. It's perfect just the way it is. Let me give you an example from this. Uh, and I, there was only one that I didn't, um, that I wasn't familiar with. And we'll get to that. But the first one they list here, and it makes sense, is Jurassic Park. Uh, it's, they claim, according to this, this piece, that, uh, the series has endured too much to ever be rebooted or reimagined. Do you remember seeing Jurassic Park for the first time? When it came out. Now, Matt, you were t too young, but you, I'm sure you saw Jurassic Park at some time in your life, right? Oh, yeah, eventually. Sure, eventually. It came out in 93, and I remember vividly uh, going with my wife to see Jurassic Park because the dinosaurs. We hadn't seen this kind of, uh, this kind of special effects before, and it was amazing. Just amazing. And then the second one comes out, The Lost World. Pretty good. Pretty good, solid. Then, you know, then it kind of waned a little bit. But um, we did. I, we went and saw one of the later ones, and it was okay. But then the last, the last one I haven't really, I, I didn't pay attention to. But the cast was great. The effects were great. And we don't, Jurassic Park, don't touch it. Leave it alone. We've all seen dinosaurs now. We know how it works. The magic isn't there. There's nothing new you could do for the series. You'd just ruin it. So leave it alone. Um, from the 608, Back to the Future. That actually is on this list. Yes, the Back to the Future trilogy or series, never, never. Uh, but this is this. I had never heard this before, that Robert Zemeckis has gotten word, the word of Universal Studios and Steven Spielberg, that there will never... Be a green light for Back to the Future Part 4. That's it. There is never... So the three that we have is done. Michael J. Fox obviously um, has Parkinson's, so he's you know not really acting anymore. But he has also said he has no interest in rebooting Back to the Future because, quote, I don't think it needs rebooting because are you going to clarify something? No. Everything, everything has been laid out. In Back to the Future, there's no need to no need to get rid of it. Um, someone had sent someone had uh, sent this. Mike from Whitewater sent this in right when I mentioned what we were going to do, and I agree with him a hundred percent. And it actually was on this list as well. Dirty Harry. Are you familiar with the Dirty Harry films, Matt? I am not, dude. All right, First, I, I have a lot of things I need to watch. I know. Well, first watch Vision Quest because that's in your sports wheelhouse. You'll like that one. Plus, uh, Linda Fiorentino, easy on the eyes. But then go back. And again, now it's going to be dated because Dirty Harry came out, I think the first one came out in 71. But it made Clint Eastwood had been a star on the Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns, which is another uh, another franchise that they say should not be redone because, same reason with Dirty Harry, that part and that character is so identified with Clint Eastwood, it would be impossible for 
it to make sense with anybody else. Now, again, being 1971, uh, you watch it now and it's a little bit, a little bit dated. And I'm sure people could find some things that are a little bit uh, objectionable with the content. But uh, watching Dirty Harry track down this uh, serial killer in San Francisco was great. Then there was uh, Magnum Force. It was Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, and oh, now I gotta look up. Uh, I gotta <laughs> look up the third one while we do uh, while we do the break. But uh, yeah, Mike, I'm with you, hundred percent. You cannot, you cannot redo the franchise of Dirty Harry. All right, if you have a suggestion, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk text line. Talk a little bit more of this. We've got some more to get to, and we don't have too much time to do it. It's WTMJ nights. Who doesn't? Just like everybody who ever moved to L.A. when we first got there, that was on our answering machine. That's back when we had answering machines, Matt, back in the Stone Age. Back when Dirty Harry came out. That is where Dirty (laughs) Harry came out. Well, Dirty Harry was in San Francisco, which is northern California, where the girls are warm and want to be with my sweet baby, yeah. Uh Rocket, oh, that's from Rocket Me Baby, whatever that song is. Anyway, we're talking about movie franchises that should never be rebooted. We started talking about Dirty Harry. I got Dirty Harry. I got Magnum Force, and I forgot the Enforcer. Jeff, uh, Jeff tipped that one in for me. Thank you, Jeff. Um, that a four, the four one four, a text from the four one four. There is no way, no way, anybody could ever greenlight a reboot of the Rocky franchise, right? This is a movie that, it, it, it was all Sylvester Stallone. He wrote it, the original one. He, when they tried to buy it without him starring, he said no. He basically birthed that character and took it all the way. Now, you could argue um, that in the middle, the, the, it got crazy, which it did. But the original Rocky is almost perfect. As far as movies go, there's a sports movie. Have you seen that one, Matt? Oh, Rocky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's So, yeah, Rocky's now. See, and this probably goes to your when you got heated before. Rocky lost in the first movie. Exactly. So you don't necessarily need those Disney endings to make it a good movie. No, it was perfect that way because the everybody. I remember at the time. I remember going to see it. I was in. I don't know seventh grade or something and we saw it close to home i saw it with buddies and we ran we jogged home because we had just seen rocky we came out all pumped up but and i remember even then people going but he lost how did he lost i was like you missed the point of the whole thing he just wanted to go the distance and he that that movie is perfect now when you get into um you know if he dies he dies and clubber lang uh, the, it gets a little crazy, but I think they came right back at the end of the at the end of the whole thing. I thought Rocky Balboa the movie was a really great way to close out the Rocky story. So that's a that's a franchise that we, even with all its flaws, nobody else could be Rocky. It would just be a pale imitation of the original. It it just would not work. Um. So that that, that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't do. Do you have any like I? This is this is not going out on a limb to say this, but you can never reboot the Godfather, right? Is there 
that is a film or series of films that is so iconic if you leave off three. But even you, since you can't leave off three, again, nearly perfect first movie. Unbelievable second movie, so much so that the sequel wins the Oscar that the first one did not. If they had left it at those two films, there would be absolutely zero flaws with that franchise. The third one comes out, you know, Sofia Coppola, Al Pacino is a, you know, it, it just, it, it was not good. The third one was not good. But can you imagine trying to reboot that? Who do you get, who do you get to replace Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone? You look at that cast and it's down to the down to all the thugs everything is perfect. So if you're a lazy Hollywood executive and you say to yourself, "Well, you know what? We haven't had a good idea in a while. How about we redo The Godfather?" First of all, you should be laughed out of the room and fired and uh, then end up working at a Home Depot in Calabasas. But secondly, where do you go? Who can you think of an actor working now who could be Vito Corleone? I've been I've been racking my brain trying to come up with somebody of that level actor that that could do it because for most of us, other than on the waterfront, that was Marlon Brando was that part that that was his. He'll go down in history if for that role. Then people will talk about other ones, but you say Marlon Brando immediately. It's the Godfather. That's it. Al Pacino. Even though he's, you know, he's got a little nutsy as he's gotten older. Perfect. James Caan, perfect. Robert Duvall, perfect. Diane Keaton, perfect. I don't know. That would I would have to stop going to movies. I think that would be it. I would I would absolutely have to stop going to the movies. A couple other ones they said, the franchises that should never be rebooted, Toy Story. Uh, it's perfect uh, the way it is. You know, they've taken, they've taken an animated movie and made four films based on this little universe. And it seems like it, it seemed like it came to a fitting end after four. That's so, let's just leave it alone. Um, you know, we mentioned The Godfather, mentioned Dirty Harry. Jaws was another one they said. Now, you know, again, it's not that the whole franchise is great. It's that at least the first and the second are good, so you don't want to mess with it. Because to reboot, you have to go back and start from the original. And is there anything scarier than the original Jaws? How many of us, after we saw Jaws, did not want to go in the water? And especially if you were a kid, you were so dumb, you even didn't want to go in a pool because you thought there might be a shark in there. So yeah, Jaws, you got to leave alone. This surprised me, though, on the list. Bill and Ted. Now, have you ever seen the Bill and Ted movies, Matt? I have not. Adding oh. to my list. I put them on your list. We're going to have to have a movie club. Where, where we just It's the uh, WTFJ Nights Movie Club. Maybe we can uh, you know, get sales to work on it, get us a theater, and we watch all the movies that you haven't seen that, uh, that I think you need to see. Bill and Ted is just ridiculously funny. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, 
where they're trying, you know, it's hard to explain Bill and Ted. You have to look them up. But Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey were really, really funny. Then they wait, and years and years later, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter get back together. They do Bill and Ted Face the Music, and that was just so weird. It's uh, And you got these guys who, one, had great chemistry, two, again, um, reflected the time where the movie was made, and just fantastic. All right, listen. I know uh, it's summer where people are having wild times. They're doing all kinds of... Uh, they're doing all kinds of crazy things. And I know many of you have asked me this question, uh, and I will answer it after this. What is the question? Hang on. It's WTMJ. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Just a few more minutes on WTMJ Nights, and then it is Brewers Baseball. All right, I said a lot of people have been asking me this question. Uh, nobody actually has, but I think it's a hilarious question. Um can you get a DUI riding a horse? This has come up. Uh, I, the first story I saw was in uh, coming out of Denver. Somebody was stopped, and they were riding a horse, and they had had a little too much to drink. And they got in a little bit of trouble, and the question then became, all right, what is the legality? And I will tell you in Colorado that um, no. You cannot get a DUI while riding a horse. Uh, there is, you know, there's been rumors out there that it, that it can happen, but you can't. Uh, a vehicle, at least as in Colorado, is described as a vehicle that, or something that is capable of moving itself or being moved using wheels or endless tracks. So that doesn't include horses. So, uh, riding while a horse, while you're under the influence, does not count. Now, you could get in other trouble. Um, you could get a fine of $100 if you're riding an animal on any highway, which is uh, normally used by motor vehicles. And you may say to yourself, that's fine, Brian. But we don't live in Colorado. We live in Wisconsin. And what if I want to ride, you know, I don't want to drive because that's irresponsible. I don't want to ride my bike because I might tip over. Maybe I'll ride my horse into town, just like I'm back in the Wild West, I'll tie it up outside the saloon, go in, have myself a couple of pops, and then ride home. In Wisconsin, can I get a DUI while riding a horse? Matt, what do you think? I'd say no, based on the legality. Yes, you cannot get a DUI for riding a horse in Wisconsin while you are drunk. What if the horse Uh, drinks? The horse now, uh, well, first, we don't listen. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the legalities for horse drinking. That might not be good. But again, a horse is not a vehicle, and a bike is not a vehicle in Wisconsin. So no, but you could get uh, you could get some other uh, crimes, public intoxication. Uh, you could uh, endangering an animal, animal cruelty. So. You know, while no, you cannot technically get a DUI for riding a horse. Why would you want to do that to the poor horse? Imagine the horse having to listen to your drunken ramblings as you ride him home. I tell you something, Mr. Ed, I think that girl liked me. I, did you see her make eyes at me? No, you were in the bar. I don't know how you do it. 
Come on now, buddy. We got to get home. All right. Speaking of getting home, we all got to get uh, out of here and go home because Brewers baseball is coming up next on WTMJ. Brewers out in Los Angeles taking on the Dodgers. Uh, I will be back again with you tomorrow. Uh, for those of you who are asking, no, Steve Scafidi is back on WTMJ now tomorrow, so I will not be back there for now, but we will meet again at 6 o'clock. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the program. Matt, thank you for all your help. Have a wonderful night. Go Brewers. Brewers baseball coming up right after this on 620 WTMJ.